Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the news section. Hi, I'm Dave Mesco, Chief Executive Officer at the IASLC. Welcome to a special edition of Lung Cancer Considered, where I'll be having conversations with the three candidates running for the position of IASLC President-Elect. Now, we are joined by Dr. Heather Wakeley, Professor of Medicine, Oncology at Stanford University in Stanford, California. Dr. Wakeley specializes in the treatment of lung cancer, thymoma, and mesothelioma, and currently serves on the Board of Directors at the IASLC. She has been in practice for over a decade at Stanford. She is the physician lead for the Thoracic Malignancies Clinical Research Group and has developed research programs related to lung cancer and thymoma across multiple areas, including clinical trials, translation work, and population sciences. She is the principal investigator on numerous clinical trials. Dr. Wakeley is the faculty director at the Stanford Cancer Clinical Trials Office and is the lead investigator for the ECOG Akron Clinical Trials Group at Stanford. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Wakeley. Thanks, Dave. It's uh, great to be doing this. Great. We appreciate the opportunity and your time. So let's jump into it. What led you to focus on lung cancer, Dr. Wakeley? So that's a, a great question. Actually, uh, Stanford has a whole uh, video they did uh, asking me a question about why I went into oncology, uh, which is up on YouTube. A lot of my patients, when they come and say, oh, you're just like you were in your video. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. But um, when I was a medical student, I got to rotate through oncology, and I was really inspired by the strength of the oncology patients and their ability for most of them to be able to really live with more awareness of now. Uh, and I, I found that just amazing and uh, really drew me into oncology. I obviously didn't know I wanted to do lung cancer when I was uh, a medical student, but once I was into my training as a intern and a resident at Stanford and then into my fellowship at Stanford, I was really drawn to oncology to lung cancer because there just wasn't much that we were able to offer. Um, when I was going through my training, we had on we had chemotherapy. And as I was in my fellowship was when we got the ECOG uh, 1594 results, which highlighted uh, looking at different chemotherapy regimens and showing that there really weren't a lot of differences between them, just some toxicity differences. And that was the state of the art. So obviously a long way to, <laughs> to that we had uh, opportunities to grow, shall we say. Um, I also, uh, was able to meet many of the real leaders in this field, including uh, Paul Bunn. He was a section leader for me at a training conference. Also got to work with uh, David Gandera, Joan Schiller, Alan Sandler, and, and many who were pioneering work done in lung cancer at that time. And they were just phenomenal mentors. It's just a really good group where I, I wanted to be a part of that. Um, so it was meeting the patients who had lung cancer, realizing how much we still had to do, and also finding that it was just a great group of investigators to work with that really inspired me. Uh, since then, I've been able to be a part from early on in the what we call the molecular revolution um, of treating lung cancer. And, and as I think about my patients today, and I think about as I'm giving a talk and using a pie chart of all the different molecular things we understand about lung cancer, molecular underpinnings, I can think of a patient with almost everything that shows up on that pie chart, and I find that to be really um, fabulous. I've also been very excited to be a part of now kind of the immune immunotherapy revolution uh, in lung cancer, and think about the time when I was back in college, 
And one of the things that got me thinking about doing medicine was this ability to maybe harvest the immune system, not harvest, but utilize the immune system to better treat cancers in general. And so to now, many years past the time I was in college, uh, be a part of being able to use that to treat my patients has been fabulous too. So there's just so much happening in lung cancer. I also treat a lot of patients with thymic malignancies and mesothelioma. And to see the advances we've made there as well has been wonderful. So it's... um, It's just been a a great field to be a part of and wonderful people working in it. I've also been able to, was able to build a program at Stanford, which, you know, coming out of fellowship, we really didn't have anybody who was passionate about treating lung cancer. And so it gave me a wonderful opportunity to start from the ground up and and build what we have now, which is a pretty robust program. Great. Thank you for that answer. And I'm, I'm wondering, Heather, if you could share, you know, you use the term revolution, um, in, in your, um, initial remarks, and I wonder, based on on you know those revolutions that you've been a part of, and your experience, and and the conversations that you've had with these key opinion leaders um, throughout your career, if you could illuminate for us, you know, where you see the greatest challenges now, and and what are your thoughts and and plans to address them in the field of thoracic oncology. So we've made these tremendous advances in being able to better understand everybody's tumor being somewhat different, uh, understanding that the molecular underpinnings of the cancer really change what we're able to do to treat people, um, that understanding how we can utilize uh, immune therapy has made a dramatic impact on what we're able to do to help so many people and even change cure levels when we talk about it in the setting of locally advanced disease. But we still face a lot of challenges in understanding why people get lung cancer to begin with. And when we're where we do understand it, such as in the setting of tobacco smoke, uh, trying to figure out how to control that better. So when I think about the biggest challenges, I think of tobacco control remaining a huge challenge that we face, where the tobacco industry is still very powerful and developed and growing in its power in underdeveloped uh, parts of the world or developing parts of the world. There's still very strong advertising lobbying. And as a mother of teens, I see just how powerful that can be. Fortunately, my kids have heard from a very early age about uh, you know, staying away from cigarettes. And uh, yeah, I'm not worried about them individuals as individuals, but I see the influence that tobacco industry still has in, in young people around the world. And I really worry about that. And I think there's, there's more that needs to be done in, in, in keeping us talking about that. Um, aside from tobacco control, there's also a lot of pollution and more and more data connecting air pollution directly with risk of getting uh, malignancies. So I think continuing to champion in those arenas is really critical. Uh, Having um, awareness of this and talking about it at every ISLC World Conference and increasing the attention to that has been something I've been very pleased to see at our conferences and would love to see that continue. Uh, Really sort of elevating that topic as one of key importance. And I think we've been doing that, but we have more that we could continue to do. Also, uh, we don't understand what happens to people who get lung cancer who don't have a smoking history, who don't have a clear risk for it. That's been a particular focus of mine since very, very early in my career, this recognition that there are a large number of people who get lung cancer who have never been exposed to tobacco. So why? Why Why do they get this illness? What is happening? And there are so many people globally working on that question, but we still have a huge way to go. And so I continue to work with a group of epidemiologists as well as some 
basic scientists. Um, we've got some grants looking at that, um, and that's something I'd like to see continue to be promoted. We also have seen in the last uh, 10 years an understanding that screening for lung cancer can have a huge impact on survival, and yet screening is not being done even in countries where we have the resources to do it. So how do we raise that awareness is another key thing, and I think something that we and ISLC can continue to do, as well as developing the science for other screening technologies, such as some of the plasma-based tests breath analysis that are being championed by many ISLC members. So I'd like to see us continue to develop those because that can have outreach to areas where we aren't going to be getting CT scans for everybody for uh, multiple different reasons. Implementation of molecular testing for people where the cancer has been diagnosed. Even in very developed areas such as where I live in Northern California, we still have hospitals where it is not routine for patients with lung cancer to get a panel testing done when they're diagnosed. They'll still get stepwise. They might not have enough tissue then to get through all of it. And that's a huge risk, I think, as far as a risk of not giving best treatment to every patient. And then accessibility to treatment. And this then is a much more global issue. And that's a very far reaching. I don't think that's something that ISLC can solve. But I think to raise that awareness and have those conversations about what does accessibility treatment look like globally, it's quite variable. And I think that that's a really important challenge that we face as well. Thank you for illuminating those, those challenges. And, and I wonder as we, if we can shift now to, to the IASLC and, and as you've spoken about these challenges um, and these challenges are also the opportunities for the field and as ISLC sits as a, as a convener and aggregator for the field, I wonder, could you share with the audience um, the highlight of your, your career, your qualifications, why you think you're best served to be the IASLC president um, and, and qualified to, to lead us through these challenges that you've talked about? Thanks. So I feel I'm extremely well qualified to serve as ISLC president-elect and then president. I actually learned about the ISLC family very early on in my training. I had mentioned I was uh, fortunate enough to work with, with Paul Bunn, who of course is ISLC founding member at a Vail training conference when I was a fellow. And so I've known about ISLC from the beginning. Been able to attend every world conference, ISLC world conference on lung cancer since completing my training. And for the past decade, I've, I've really been a key leader within each of those conferences, is invited faculty, program committee member, including as chair in uh, multiple years. Um, 2015, I got to present our ECOG Akron 1505 data in the plenary session. So that was really a, a highlight for me for my career and was an advocate for making sure that that meeting was where we presented that data. Obviously, we could have presented another conference, but I want to, I think it's so important to have big topics being presented at the World Lung Conferences. Um, currently, I'm serving as the co-chair for the early stage localized disease track of the program committee for the Barcelona meeting that's upcoming in uh, 2019. I've also attended every one of the ISLC targeted therapies meetings or the Santa Monica meeting since uh, 2007. And David Gandera and I have co-chaired the Best of World Lung Conference in San Francisco annually since 2015. Chaired, I've co-chaired the ISLC uh, Chicago, now known as North America Meeting, multidisciplinary meeting uh, at Thoracic Oncology with Jyoti Patel and Everett Vokes since 2016. 2010 was when I first joined the Communications Committee. I was the chair of that for a few years. I'm still, I'm, now I'm the board liaison. 
I've also served as the U.S. representative to the board, the Council of Regents. And as you mentioned in the introduction, I was elected to the board of directors in 2015 and continue to serve in that capacity until my term ends this year. So I, I think it would be pretty hard to find a more involved ISLC member. Um, I also have a lot of right. <laughs> I have a lot of work at, at Stanford as well. Uh, extensive team building and leadership experience here in my own institution. I mentioned that I was given an amazing opportunity coming out of fellowship in an institution, which of course is world-class, but didn't really have a focus on lung cancer. So as a fellow and finishing that, I was able to build our team from the ground up. And we have a really wonderful thoracic oncology clinical research program now, uh, really being able to do great work from a translational uh, population sciences impact, as well as doing a lot of clinical trial work with a great team where we focus on quality research and really also just top-notch patient care. We've got a really well-integrated clinical team of nurses, nurse practitioners, and physician assistants, our research coordinators, physicians, and we all really work well together, and that's something I'm very proud of. Um, I lead our multidisciplinary tumor board every week, so I have a lot of uh, interactions with our all of the teams here at Stanford who are involved in taking care of lung cancer patients, as well as doing research in that area. I, I serve as the faculty director now for our cancer clinical trials office at Stanford. So this involves over 150 people, mostly coordinators involved in all different aspects of clinical trial conduct. This group works, of course, and with with me in that role as leader of it, as, across with faculty across our institution. Um, and so this has given me a good amount of, of management experience. I'm also very active still as a clinical investigator, as a lecturer globally. And um, one thing I take particular pride in is also continued work as a mentor to junior faculty and to trainees. I've got uh, now former trainees who are in key roles in multiple different institutions, and I'm really, really proud of that. I'm very passionate about lung cancer prevention, early detection, and treatment globally. I treat about 40 to 50 lung cancer patients every week, and so I continue to see the impact um, that thoracic malignancies have on people on a personal level through my patients, and also get to see the impact that the research that we're doing and the advances that we made have had on what we're able to do to help those individuals who are living with cancer. Because in the end, this is really about helping patients with cancer, with lung cancer and thymic cancer and mesothelioma, and also trying to figure out what we can do to prevent those diseases from developing in the first place. Um, I've been fortunate to have opportunities to attend conferences globally. And wherever I go, I, re I really try to understand the healthcare systems where I am. So asking questions of local hosts, uh, fortunately being able to go and visit a lot of the hospitals when I'm traveling, trying to get an understanding what the systems look like and to know experts globally because this really is a global disease and understanding it just where I am is important, but understanding what it's like internationally is really a part of what it means to be in ISLC and to hopefully be leading ISLC if I'm elected. Um, so I really believe I am ideally suited to serve as the president of IASLC. I'm widely recognized for my expertise in multiple aspects of detection and treatment of thoracic malignancies, in particular early stage lung cancer, EGFR and ALK-driven lung cancer, and thymic malignancies. I have extensive publication record and lots of presentations spanning epidemiology, translational, and treatment topics. 
I'm a dedicated educator and mentor and multidisciplinary collaborator. I have an appreciation for and understanding of the challenges faced in many different areas of the world in regards to thoracic malignancy prevention, detection, and treatment. And as I started, uh, I'm really an incredibly active ISLC member and have been for many years. I'm very, very passionate about the organization. I have a lot of understanding and and great respect for everybody uh, working within ISLC, including you, Dave, um, and really feel that I have a vision for the future of ISLC that builds on the tremendous work we've already been doing in the organization. Thank you, Dr. Wakely, for sharing your qualifications further with the audience. And I want to just thank you for your engagement with the IASLC and your service to the field of patients, which you've articulated uh, with us today. You mentioned in your answer that about history and an important part of the IASLC history is that commitment to multidisciplinary and international um, organization. I was wondering if you could share with the audience how you would intend to ensure that you we maintain and advance that commitment um, should you become president-elect. Thanks, Dave. So I'm going to tackle the international question first. So our motto, of course, is to conquer thoracic cancers worldwide. Currently, our membership, though, is about a third from North America, a third from Asia, 20% from Europe, and very limited representation yet from South America, Australia, Africa. So we have a lot of room for growth by paying more attention to the Southern Hemisphere. So that's something I'm very mindful of. I mentioned earlier that through ISLC and other connections, I've really been fortunate to see a lot of the world from the lens of someone talking about lung cancer, teaching about lung cancer. And when traveling, I've I've tried to understand global healthcare systems. I'm really fascinated by the similarities and differences we face in our challenges with tobacco control, screening, access to appropriate testing, access to educational materials, and the access of patients to get the best care in clinical trials. And if I were elected, I would love to further develop the unique opportunities ISLC has to work to overcome these challenges. We're making a lot of inroads internationally with webinars now being done in languages other than English and regional meetings um, and with diversity on the board of directors. I'd like to see us grow our partnerships with regional meetings globally to disseminate the new information coming out at uh, world conferences and and other conferences, um, support more folks reading JTO, uh, convene working groups on global issues, um, and really to provide more opportunities for people to participate on some of the committees that are from less represented areas. Uh, With our international focus, we have a lot of diversity, but we also need to be mindful that we're lacking some gender diversity is only about a 35% of our organization currently membership is women. And obviously, there are a lot more women uh, than that percentage who are working in this area. So I'd like to figure out how we can explore and expand that. Uh, another diversity we talk about is the disciplines who are involved in treating lung cancer. And predominantly, we're still a medical oncology group. But I'm reminded every week in Tumor Board about the many different groups of folks who are involved in, in helping to treat and understand lung cancer. So making sure we have more representation from surgical oncologists, radiation oncologists, pulmonologists, and pharmacists. Um, Also from, if you think about the diagnostics teams or pathologists, radiologists, nuclear medicine physicians, from the care teams with a lot of efforts from nurses and allied health professionals and how we can further engage them. 
um, from folks who are really more just research focused, population sciences. I think we've got a lot of room for outreach there, as well as with some of the basic scientists as well, who are really looking at the key questions around what causes lung cancer and what can we do better to understand it and treat it. And then, of course, really important that we are mindful of what we can do for policy impact. And that's going to be involving patient advocates as well as others involved in, in policy. And all working together, I think that ISLC has a lot of room for continue to grow, being mindful of our diversity, both from um, geographic diversity, uh, gender diversity, and multidisciplinary focus as well. And I think with my broad research background, my experience as a clinician working with the multidisciplinary group, and my experience with investigators and collaborators around the world, I really feel I would be an ideal candidate as president-elect. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Wakeley, with regard to your vision um, around diversity and multidisciplinary and international and gender. Um, it is appreciated. And thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today and for sharing your thoughts and qualifications. Thanks, Dave. Great to talk with you. As a reminder, voting is only available to active IASLC members and ends at 1159 Eastern Time on June 26th. Vote at directvote.net forward slash IASLC. I'm Dave Mesco, and on behalf of all of us at IASLC, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more Lung Cancer Considered podcasts. And please like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues.